1: Praise be the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And welcome to another episode of Real Presence Live as Father Jason Leffer and Father James Gross are joining you from the uh, near Southside Historic District
2: of downtown Grand Forks. Good morning, Father Leffer. Good morning, Father Gross. So great to be back with you. A blizzard took me out last month, but I'm back and it's great to, to, to have
1: go. you back although i think things are a little treacherous at least around town um back on tuesday there was a period of rain and 20 some degrees so whenever that happens it's a recipe for
2: disaster it for was the roads. a she device on the way in today but i had my ice skates on so it was perfect
1: oh you were thinking ahead <laughs> fantastic well, we've been uh, chatting before the program began about the great uh, topics and the interviews that uh, we have coming up. So without uh, wasting any more time, if you could lead us with an opening prayer, Father.
2: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Yeah. God, our Father in heaven, we praise you, we worship you, we adore you, we glorify you. Heavenly Father, this day we think of your great gift of life. And, uh, and we just were overwhelmed with the mystery of life, the wonder of life, the glory of life. Heavenly Father, um, we just plead the blood of Jesus over the nation, uh, over especially the March for Life and all those who are participating, over our conversation this morning, over this broadcast. Uh, Heavenly Father, that we would become your great glory. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And we'll go ahead and begin our program
1: as we typically do when it's our turn to be here in Real Presence Live as we saunter down literary lane with our regular guests. We have Nancy Gord joining us. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. And some of the unexpected ambient noise we may be hearing during this interview is coming from Father William Slattery. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Good morning. Thank
4: you. Yes, I'm on
2: the road uh, heading out to D.C. for the March for Life so you really are sauntering he, he's sauntering <laughs> yeah. like, in quite a ways
3: he's moving along yes uh,
2: ma-
1: making your way through ohio i, I guess he had a, a little bit of a uh, little bit of snowy conditions earlier on in your trip there father
4: yeah was, uh we luckily got ahead of the storm through going through wisconsin but uh a little bit of uh freezing rain but uh made it safe this far which praise god for that
2: how many how many buses or members are with you this year
4: Uh, we got two buses from Shanley High School, uh, so 75 students, and then uh, 12 chaperones.
2: Awesome. Excellent. It's so so uplifting and inspiring to to know of your guys' commitment, and um, that you do this every year. Wonderful. So, uh, Nancy, why don't we have you go ahead and begin
1: by uh, introducing us to the book that we will be discussing today.
3: Well, we are going to be discussing The Scarlet Pimpernel by Baroness Ortsky and it was originally a successful play and it was a novel that followed the plot line of the play it was written in 1905 and it really talks of the adventures of the scarlet pimpernel the daring british hero responsible for rescuing french aristocrats from the guillotine uh, with the assistance assistance of his loyal band of followers now his character is actually the precursor to the modern superhero whose true identity is unknown, an example of that would be Batman
2: right, so it really kicked off a, a whole kind of new genre of it mm-hmm. really exploded on the scene. these, okay. these, these superheroes are identity. Questions,
1: yeah, right? Yeah.
3: The secret identity, yes.
2: And with regard to the, um, is, is sort of
1: an interesting story here about the uh, the author who was um, born in hung in Hungary uh, mm-hmm. of Hungarian descent, and then came to Great Britain, and so uh, that accounts for the, um, the 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 setting of the story and the the language of English of of it in which it was written.
3: Right, and she was very much educated in the arts, and again, she wrote these dramatic, romantic, historically-based pieces of literature. And actually, her most successful work, which uh, resulted in a very comfortable lifestyle for her, was The Scarlet Pimpernel. And then there were uh, ensuing books in that series about his daring exploits during the reign of terror.
2: Now, did she herself come from, was it nobility or aristocracy, or what was her background?
3: Her background, I think she came from, her family was in a musical background, and uh, I think definitely in a very comfortable level. It's sort of like Sir Percy himself. Sir Percy obviously has been knighted because he's Sir, but he's actually a baronet. You'll see that in the book, the abbreviation after his name, B-A-R-T. Uh, and I think that is the lowest level of aristocracy that can be bestowed. Now, what marks Sir Percy is his great, extraordinary wealth and his stylishness.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, Father Slattery, um, I think this might be a good time to, to bring you into the... the. Um uh the discussion with regard to the historical context, if you could just remind our listeners about um uh what was happening when we referred to the French Revolution in that last uh, decade of the eighteenth century and uh the context for the scarlet Pimpernel
4: yeah so the uh the French Revolution uh, and in as many phases as it takes uh we went through a couple of bloody phases which are often referred to as the Reign of terror. Um, in which, uh, seeking especially the class and the people and the change from aristocracy to, uh, democ- dem- uh, democracy, there was a lot of, uh, individuals, French citizens who were put to death, <clears throat> um, for, for various reasons. Um, and it was always just a, a time of, of, of interior strife in France, uh, it, it treated very differently from the perspective of, of whether you were a Republican or if you were uh, uh in favor of the monarchy. Um, but uh this uh is definitely written from the level uh and viewpoint of uh again in, in favor of of the of the monarchy and some of the uh yeah focusing particularly on the bloodiness of, of what happened in that period of transition.
2: What what kind of just really quickly what 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 did the what did what role did the church play in this, or how did it affect the church? Especially, you know, you know, France is known as the the, the daughter of the church, kind of a thing. What um, is there anything you can tell us, just really quickly, uh, about that?
4: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, this kind of it, it kind of split France's power. I mean, as the daughter of the church, um, just because uh, in 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 real ways that uh, that divide, it's, you know, the church is kind of a a tent for all, and when you divide the people between plebeians and aristocrats, um, you can't make the divide in the church. And so it did weaken kind of the way, the way the church in France, um, operated publicly and particularly in the bloody times of uh, that church was persecuted. And there were many religious sisters, uh, uh there were many acts of, of law that were enforced against the church. Um, people who were put to the guillotine, uh, again, religious sisters, priests, uh, bishops, um, for acting contrary to the state. So it was very a time of crisis. Um, but then you look at modern figures, you know, people like G.K. Chesterton <laughs> or uh, or even uh, 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 others from that period who, who kind of look at that lean towards democracy as almost liberating France, uh, even the ecclesial France, from old trappings that wouldn't be able to reach the modern world. So it's kind of a, I, I always find it as conflicting part of history.
1: Right. There are a lot of complex dynamics that go into that. And interjected into that scene is this character of the Scarlet Pimpernel in his um, uh, swashbuckling ways and the, um, uh, the, the great uh, uh, esteem and the, uh, the lore that comes, you know, surrounded about, uh, about his character in helping people um, get out of uh, Paris and find safe passage into Great Britain.
2: So we should probably, for our, our listeners who are going right now who are not familiar with the Scarlet Pimpernel... It's well worth diving in. It's well worth even checking out the 1980s movie, which I it's a cult classic, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It might be the rare time where the movie might be better than the novel. I'm not sure, but they did a great job. But having said that, starting with what what is the Pimpernel? Spoiler alert. Everything we're going to reveal here will probably because it's all about the plot and the development of the plot and we can't do this without some spoiler alert. So, Nancy can help us out here. Are we going to spoil this for all of our listeners? <laughs>
3: Well, I'm going to tell you, I am the type of person that I will ask people how the movie ends. (laughs) And this trait of mine to kind of spill the beans is not found endearing to a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) But I kind of like to know going in, how is this going to play out? Because it is the playing out; it is the living of the life, so to speak.
1: It's the journey plus the destination. It is right the now.
3: journey, absolutely. <laughs> so it never bothers me if I know the destiny. So, I am very open to, to kind of revealing <laughs> that Sir Percy is Scarlet Pimpernel. <laughs> so, Father, Gross- we get we get clues.
2: Father Gross, can you share with our listeners what effect did it have as as you were reading the novel? Mm Because you hadn't read it before, what happened to you as you're you're going through the experience of it? I I really
1: enjoyed the story, and um, you know, when the time comes, there there are hints in hindsight as you look back, and in order to reveal to the reader, you know, what's really going on. But um, I I guess I was a little uh, uh, chagrined because I, I I felt kind of dense. You know, I thought, gosh, a couple of chapters earlier, at least I should have picked up on what was going on, you know, I just, uh, there There was a certain point where I just kind of ground to a halt and I said, oh, of course, you <laughs> 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 but um, but 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 the way in which they get there is very interesting. We just have a couple of minutes before we're going to step aside for a break. Um, one thing I want to talk about, just to kind of help set the stage, one of the main characters is this young woman by the name of Marguerite. Um, Nancy, would you give us a little bit of a character study on uh, on this uh, young lady?
3: Well, Marguerite is an extremely beautiful and known to be very, very bright woman who's been involved in the theater in France. And she has married Sir Percy, an extremely wealthy man, tall, overly stylish, much is made of his apparel in the descriptions in this book. And they marry, and I believe at the very beginning, we see some of this at the end, But at the beginning of their relationship, there was real romantic love. There was passion between the two of them. But she had actually, because of the great love she has for her brother, who had been beaten by an aristocrat, or who arranged for his beating, because he dared to love the aristocrat's daughter, she resents this one family, and in denouncing them, this family is put to death. That causes a great rift between her and Percy. And they, they are become alienated from each other. He gives her money. You know, he gives her status. But that passionate love has been masked. Because I don't know that he trusts her or, you know, she. I think he doesn't dare, I think, at that point, let anything on that he's the Pimpernel.
1: And there are, there are moments within the novel where, I, I'm just going to state it frankly. I, I found Marguerite to be positively annoying, you know, because of this kind of pomposity. There is a certain phrase that comes up over and over again as she's describing Percy and his personality, an inane fop. F O P. You know, and right. I thought to myself, well, you know, that 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 could jokingly be a useful thing to use in certain contexts. But I I, I was I kept asking myself, Well, listen, Gally, you know, are are you really God's gift to everything?
2: <laughs> well and what right, so for Father Gross, what that does is it, 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 it testifies to how effective he is at, at hiding his character right. his true character
1: that's right yeah and that uh, there there is this i don't want to say loudish but uh, a little bit you know <laughs> a crude or unrefined way in which he conducts himself which i think throws a lot of people off the
3: scent oh absolutely and i think too sometimes i wonder if that isn't a defense mechanism that if she belittles him in her mind then that loss of that love may not be so acute
1: yeah, yeah. A sort of a self preservation psychologically. Right,
3: a rationalization yeah. as then, oh, you know, his love isn't worth it or whatever it might yeah. be because he's just this kind of dullard. Exactly. And there's almost
4: a Shakespeare there's almost a Shakespearean kind of quality there too of like the reversal that comes of like the extreme pride that then moves into kind of admiration and love because of what it sees. So I mean she's right. always referred to as like the foremost Intellectual of Europe, or you know, I mean, and just yeah, yeah, she falls into all these traps, and and again at the end of it, you know, her husband is the one she does adore. So it's kind of a, yeah. a real reversal of, of figures and and passion.
1: And, and the change that takes place within her well we're going to step aside for just a moment we're speaking about the book The Scarlet Pimpernel by Baroness Orczy, and uh, we have Nancy Gordon Father Slattery with us and we'll resume right after this break you're listening to Real Presence Live
0: stay with us there's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network Did you know you can listen to the RPR network when you're on the go? Just search for Real Presence Radio in your app store. Listen live to any station across the network at any time so you can stay connected to your local community from wherever you are. Plus, if you miss a program, the Real Presence Radio app is your one-stop shop for local and national podcasts, including our signature show, Real Presence Live. The Real Presence Radio app, with you every step of your faith journey. Download it today
2: and see what you've been missing. As the new year begins, now is the time to add some predictability to your life by establishing your will and estate plan. More than two-thirds of all adults have no plan. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio. We have some practical tools to help you in preparing your plan. Please visit our plan-giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. It's a matter of just getting started.
5: This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. Pope John XXIII called for a new Pentecost in our day. Just as the first Pentecost was the foundation for the first missionary impetus of the Church, so the new Pentecost is the foundation for the new evangelization, the renewed missionary effort of the body of Christ. In fact, the new evangelization cannot happen without a new Pentecost. But... To live a new Pentecost is to play with fire because evangelization is about true salvation. It is not about the easy and cultural acceptable path of enrichment. Our God is a holy and awesome God who requires our holiness and trust. Only through life in the Holy Spirit can we model the kingdom and be true missionaries. Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org.
1: And uh, for those who are just joining us, welcome to Real Presence Live. Father James Gross and Father Jason Leffer, priests of the Diocese of Fargo, joining you from our Grand Fork studios where we have a uh, somewhat gloomy over- overcast winter day, probably not too different from how it would be in much of England at this time of you, year. You know,
2: Father Gross, we've been living through what, a winter of Narnia, is what I've been calling it. I, I don't remember it. so many so many consistent days of like high humidity, frosted trees. It feels like we're going through the wardrobe every day and seeing Narnia, you know, for the first yeah. time.
1: It's been picturesque. And just a reminder to our listeners that starting at the bottom of this hour, we will have our straight talk segment during which we long to hear uh, questions that you have about things happening uh, in the church, in the world, and uh, our Catholic perspective on those. Eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two is the number to call. So go ahead and jot that down. You can also leave uh, questions on our Facebook page for Real Presence Radio. So we were talking about uh, Margaret and Percy the these main characters and a development that happens and one of the things that you really see um, you know once uh, Marguerite you know it, it uh, the, the reality of who her husband is is um, uh, um, a, a courage and a nobility especially in those climactic scenes the links that she is going to go through that she's not going to remain you might say shut up in the mansion or the ivory tower but wants to um, you know really to the extent that she can be a part of this whole adventure. So, um, Nancy, can you expand upon that a little bit?
3: Well, I think this is why it's been made into film more than once. And I think because some of these scenes are so dramatic. And at the end, she does go uh, with a companion over to, to France and is involved in traipsing through the countryside in brutal weather and she's not dressed for it, and it talks about the tearing of her garments and her shoes and her feet, and she's relentless to get to her husband, who now they have a, an interlude before this where she recognizes that there still is love there. There still is a possibility of their marriage and, and their vows becoming meaningful and uh, and true to one another again. And boy, that pursuit makes for a wonderful cin- uh, cinematic picture. And right. she is oftentimes, you know, so refined and sometimes described as childlike, which bothers me a little bit. But uh, to see this woman, you know, with her hair and everything being torn and and relentlessly going to save her husband and try to warm him, it it is really quite a picture of her and how she's changed within herself and how she regards this man now yeah her husband
1: and that preliminary scene that you referred to a moment ago, that that is a that is a very effective tool within the course of the story. You know, you get this opportunity for the two of them to speak candidly, speak from the heart, and you really kind of see what anguish each of them had been going through um, in the past. Uh, Father Leffer, it, on, while we were on break, you brought up some uh, ideas that you had. Uh, you were
2: going to ask Father yeah. Slattery about
1: it, the person of Percy and the character of Christ. So w-
2: one one quick comment on what you developed there about the marriage, and I, it, it makes me think of like Pope John Paul's theology of the body, and about how this idea about not having barriers between the spouses. And we see there, and this is what they work through, right? I mean, they had mm-hmm. that initial that initial what we maybe call a type of immature love, but then these barriers come in, and it's like yeah, are almost they,
1: like strangers under the same right, roof.
2: Are they going to mm-hmm. choose? to work through those barriers and come together or are they gonna let the barriers define them and just have a relationship of convenience and that that's what makes the story so powerful really then the that's the, the true conquering father slattery could you could you comment a little bit on like if if we think of uh, Percy here as a Christ figure and and we think about the relationship between the human nature and the divine nature of Christ and we as the spouse of Christ like pursuing him and not not always recognizing him or understanding him or Mother Teresa talking about Christ cleverly disguised in the poorest of the poor or these kind of things and then how we we really need to push through in in this, this disguise of Christ to find the glory in the end. Can you can you help us understand this kind of Christological side of the story? Yeah,
4: I think in that figure of Percy, you get kind of a, yeah a good good kind of manifestation of the the work of Christ, uh, especially in I don't know how would we we understand it I mean, we can't take this so much for granted as Christians of like the act of God to take human flesh uh, to be the means of salvation, right uh, I mean if you look at the fathers of the church, this is always part of the wonderment of the Incarnation of uh, just the extraordinary way of, like, this is how you choose to do it, you know, with the brokenness of humanity, and just the, the many ways that Percy kind of has to suffer through the living of his uh, life that's incognito um, <clears throat> for this. I mean, you know, there's those scenes with him and, uh, you know, his wife uh, where she's trying to reconcile, and, you know, uh, there's those moments where afterwards, you know, preserving his kind of foppish behavior, you know, and kind of the coldness, um, you know she leaves and he kisses the you know the the places where her foot where were standing and walking right and so there's demonstration of love uh, that's there um yet that's hidden under this kind of uh layer that uh, is is hard to comprehend right uh, and that becomes kind of the instrument of salvation in this in this story um, particularly at the end the most poignant one in which uh you know this dressing up is as, uh, as the Jew the figure of the Jew who was the outcast the complete kind of again the one who the you know the lieutenant couldn't even look at or draw his attention to that uh, this becomes the way that uh, you know, Percy delivers not only those who are seeking refuge from France uh, but also his spouse um, and so I think there's just a great great way uh, there's good good kind of highlights there father Leffer, of how we can see kind of the Christological aspect of percy um as the hero in the story um and that's just kind of dramatic way that god uses um the unexpected for salvation
2: and, and again i think you t- this is why it's a, su- a successful piece of literature because it you know, it, it gives you the opportunity through this story to reflect on your own life, and the, you know, like in our lives, the the clever disguises of Christ, or when we pull back some trauma or um, horror or grossness of our lives, and suddenly we discover God was behind. He was cleverly hidden there, you know, the whole time. Whether it's a relationship or even our own personal searches or identities, I think. And, and, that's why the, the sashing down literary lane is such a powerful thing because good good literature um, helps us to understand the very lives that we're living or breaks it open.
1: Mm-hmm. one other thing I guess we should mention that uh, we probably should have gotten to uh, earlier is that that word Pimpernel was always mm-hmm. an unfamiliar one to me I would jokingly confuse it with pumpernickel you know like I <laughs> right. read or whatever but um, <laughs> you know it, it zero, ends right. up being it ends up being a um, a code you might say to the written messages that are going back and forth with this network so uh, Nancy if you can tell us what on earth is a Pimpernel and why is it significant <laughs> well
3: going back to pumpernickel. If that were the word, bread is very symbolic. But here it's pimpernel, and that is a little red flower that grows by the wayside in England. And Ortsky thought of this flower as being humble and modest and a metaphor for English restraint and humility. And, and so every time a rescue is saved, the red flower is sent to the French. Uh, these people who are in charge of this horrific bloodbath that is going on. This this one year period, especially from 1793 to 1794, I believe, from summer to summer, was horrendously violent. And so it, it's a it's a simple little flower and something that, that grows by the wayside and, uh, and and very symbolic. But again, you hear the word Pimpernel. It's not a flower you normally think of here in the states but but that is what his symbol was
1: mm-hmm. yeah an, an endearing way to um not only uh communicate messages but to confound his opponents particularly this um sniveling uh chauvelin you know who's uh, right. going all through right. and and is um uh, you know pursuing pursuing the Scarlet Pimpernel and anyone who is in league with him. So as we're coming to the end of this segment here, um, any thoughts uh, that, that have come to your mind in terms of what work we may uh, look at discussing next time?
3: Well we had discussed the title's Account of Monte Cristo, which Ooh. is again Ooh. a very uh, <laughs> romantic adventure, some tale, and longer speaks a little bit more of revenge. But again, hidden identity. So we could be following that same scheme with The Count of Monte Cristo. You drew Alex out some Dumas. approving
1: ooze from Father oh. Leffer as you had mentioned that title.
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: Also one
2: I of
3: my
1: know favorites. That, yeah,
3: I do know, I know that years ago it was the favorite novel of the sophomores. They always talk about that one.
2: Well, it's got everything. It's got everything. Yes. It's got love, romance, um, you know... Um, Man's, fight, you know, fighting against uh, impossible odds. The whole—I mean, the whole, it's got everything. Mm-hmm. Terrific, uh, suffering, terrific. redemption, new life.
1: Well, um, all of us will be eagerly looking forward to another great discussion. So, Nancy, thanks again for joining us on Real Presence oh, Live. And yeah, it's uh,
3: always my pleasure.
1: And Father Slattery, thanks for calling in and uh, being part of our discussion. Safe travels to you and all of the pilgrims. And this good, week. good
2: luck with your suspension on your bus. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, prayers
4: are
1: needed. Thank you. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> Very good. Well, I tell
1: you what, folks, um, right around the corner, we are going to have our straight talk segment coming up next. So get your questions ready. 877-795-0122 is that number. And we look forward to talking to you right on the other side of this break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Live, engaging, and local.